This episode of AHLA Speaking of Health Law is brought to you by AHLA members and donors like you. For more information, visit AmericanHealthLaw.org. Hi, I'm Norm Tabler with this month's edition of The Lighter Side of Health Law. Doctors are only human. Admit it. You check your smartphone way more than you ought to. Even when you're at work, supposedly with your mind focused on the job at hand, you find yourself checking your phone from time to time. You do it so much, sometimes you're not even aware you're doing it. Well, what if instead of a lawyer or administrator, you were a doctor working in the OR, say an anesthesiologist? Do anesthesiologists sneak peeks at their phones when they're supposed to be taking care of unconscious patients on the operating table? Well, that's the allegation in this case. A member of an anesthesiology group alleges that others in the group take time to do things like watch football and pay bills when they're supposedly caring for surgery patients. And the court agreed that the whistleblower has stated a valid claim. Here's the reasoning. Medicare requires that services be, quote, reasonable and necessary, and reasonable and necessary in turn requires compliance with, quote, accepted standards of medical practice. And the whistleblower's complaint makes a prima facie case that watching football instead of your patient falls below accepted medical practice. Well, maybe except for the Super Bowl. The case is U.S. versus Intermountain Healthcare, Federal District, Utah. A Greek blessing. I'm usually an America first kind of guy. Normally, I prefer our alphabet over the Greek alphabet. But when it comes to COVID-19, I'm glad we're using the Greek alphabet, as in Delta variant and Omicron variant. Why? Simple. It's because the Greek alphabet has only 24 letters. That means that the most variants we can have is 24, not 26. Threatened, expose, exposed. Indiana lawyer Alan Stout had a crackerjack idea for preventing a woman from getting a protective order against his client. Armed with glossy 8x10 intimate photos the woman had given his client, Alan told her that if she didn't drop the suit, the photos would have to become part of the public record. She dropped the suit. The Indiana Supreme Court saw nothing to brag about. It ruled that Alan had violated rules against making false statements, conduct involving dishonesty, fraud, deceit, and misrepresentation, and conduct prejudicial to the administration of justice. Alan was suspended from practice for 90 days. Oh yeah, I forgot. When Legacy Steel Company sued North Dakota attorney Jeff Bradall for malpractice, his malpractice insurer refused to defend him. Why? Well, Jeff had represented the steel company in a lawsuit but neglected to attend the trial, which resulted in a million-dollar judgment against the company. But his malpractice application didn't say anything about a possible claim by the steel company. Well, Jeff explained, I didn't attend the trial because I I thought I had withdrawn from the case. But according to court records, Jeff's motion to withdraw from the case had been denied. The outcome? The court ruled in favor of the insurer and against Jeff, observing that an attorney should know that if a client thought he was representing it, but he didn't bother to attend the trial, resulting in a million-dollar judgment against the client, that client just might sue him for malpractice and his malpractice insurance application ought to disclose the matter. The case is ALPS Property and Casualty v. Legacy Steel, 8th Circuit. Tis a puzzlement. As the King repeatedly says in The King and I, tis a puzzlement. When a lawyer thinks that a Yelp or Facebook entry makes him look bad, why in the world would he make a federal case out of it? Even if he won the case, and so far that hasn't happened, the lawsuit means that thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands more people, will read the comments. And the comments may well be memorialized in federal decisions that live forever. 
The latest entry on this fool's errand is lawyer David Frayden, and in this case he actually started the Facebook exchange by making an unkind comment about Ukrainians. Well, readers took to social media to make negative comments about David. Sensing himself in a hole, David decided to keep digging. He sued in federal district court, and when he lost there, he took it to the Seventh Circuit, which reminded him that the comments were opinions, and opinions can't be false, let alone defamatory. The case is Frayden versus Chimera. There are friends, and there are friends. We know from Gertrude Stein that a rose is a rose is a rose, but a recent Kentucky opinion reminds us that we can't say the same about friends. According to this opinion, there are friends, and then there are friends. The issue came up after the plaintiff lost a medical malpractice case and appealed, claiming that the judge had an undisclosed conflict of interest and should have recused himself. What was the conflict? The judge was friends with the defendant doctor on Facebook. Well, does being Facebook friends with one of the parties constitute a conflict of interest for the judge? The court ruled that it depends. Facebook friends cover a wide range of relationships from mere familiarity to acquaintance to close friendship to intimacy. There's no such thing as a one-size-fits-all Facebook friendship. So the case was remanded for further explanation of just what kind of friendship exists between the judge and the defendant. The case is Andrus versus St. Elizabeth Medical Center, Kentucky Court of Appeals. Creative Fiction Award. The Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court has formally recognized attorney Doreen Zankowski for her creative fiction. Unfortunately, the fiction was in her client invoices. In a single year, Doreen's creativity enabled her to record nearly 4,000 billable hours, a year in which she also made three personal trips to Hawaii and traveled to San Diego, Denver, Chicago, New York, and several cities in Texas, her creativity sometimes enabled her to bill more than 24 hours in a single day. When asked for her records, Doreen revealed the secret of her creativity. She doesn't believe in recording or keeping track of her own time. Her assistant ghostwrites a draft billing report, which Doreen then edits upward. In one nine-month period, she edited upward to the tune of 450 additional billable hours. The law firm where she worked at the time has done its best to calculate the overcharges and repay the clients. She now works at another firm, or at least she did until the court suspended her license for two years. You can't make this stuff up. The case is Enri Zankowski. Hey, they're only horses. Here's a strange defense. A group of racehorse trainers, a racehorse product supplier, and a veterinarian have been indicted for violating the Federal Food and Drug Act. They're charged with a long-running scheme to manufacture, distribute, and administer performance-enhancing drugs to racehorses. But the defendants have a defense. Is it that they didn't do what they were accused of? That they didn't pump racehorses full of performance-enhancing drugs to make them run faster? No. Their defense is that they can't be convicted unless they defrauded human consumers or a human consumer protection agency like the FDA. And since horses aren't the kind of consumers the law is intended to protect, the government has no case. What did the court think of the defense? Not much. The trial court rejected it in U.S. versus Grasso et al., Southern District of New York. Censured for Raising Cain. Arkansas Judge Brad Curran has been censured by the Judicial Discipline Commission for Raising Cain. You're wondering what he did. Well, he raised Cain, his cane. He walks with a cane because of a hip replacement. And when he pulled into the courthouse parking lot, he found that a 20-year-old college student had parked in a space clearly marked reserved for Judge Curran 24-7. Then, according to the commission, he angrily berated the young man 
and threw his cane down, quote, as if to clear his hands for a fight, adopted an aggressive stance, and angrily berated the young man. As luck would have it, the young man's dad, a state representative, was on the scene to film the incident and post it online, where everyone in Arkansas, including the disciplinary commission, could watch it over and over. The commission found that the judge had failed to conduct himself with dignity. Frankly, though, as a man in his 70s who has had to use a cane after orthopedic surgery, my sympathies are more with the judge than the 20-year-old who illegally parked in the judge's spot. Well, that's it for this month's edition of The Lighter Side of Health Law. I hope you enjoyed it. Check your AHLA Weekly and Health Law Connections magazine for the next edition. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to AHLA Speaking of Health Law wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about AHLA and the educational resources available to the health law community, visit AmericanHealthLaw.org.